It's Monday, November 14th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser, and from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Muckerman. Good to see you, gents. Hey, you too. Hey. It's, it, it, it's a little chilly. It is a little chilly. I think it may be colder in the studio than it is actually outside. It's, it's, always it's, cold it's, here. it's officially fall, <laughs> which is nice. I like that. Sure. I like the different seasons. But uh, yeah, just before we started, I was like, okay, yeah, there's been no heat on in this studio. <laughs> Got to crank the lights up. Uh, we're going to dip into the full mailbag, and but we we got to stock uh, start with the stock of the day. That is the biggest gainer on the New York Stock Exchange, and this is a nice reminder for me that there is a whole big world of stocks out there. Yeah. Just a reminder, ladies and gentlemen, there are ten thousand publicly traded companies, and uh, if you've never heard of Harman International, which I had never heard of until today. This is a connected technology company worth billions of dollars, and it is the number one gainer on the uh, New York Stock Exchange today because it is being acquired by Samsung. Samsung, they've had their problems lately. <laughs> and apparently, they, they haven't given up on the Galaxy brand because the word is the Galaxy 8 will be coming out next year. But they just wrote a check for $8 billion in cash to buy Harman International, and this is being interpreted, I think probably rightly so, as as a move into the connected car. Even though Harman has stuff on the connected home front, that it appears to be the connected auto uh, industry. That's where uh, Samsung is interested. Yeah, given what we know here, I think so for whatever reason, my mind just went right to the Simpsons when I was thinking about this. Like I feel like if this if they if they had a take on this deal on the Simpsons, it would be like you know, a car driving off and and the guy in in the car yelling something and the car exploding. You know, because I mean, it's like Samsung has had obviously, as you mentioned, a lot of problems here lately with the phone, and yeah. I feel like there's just sort of that tongue in cheek humor that is going to be applied to this deal in the short run. I think, and it's I think it's easy to be bearish or at least skeptical on a deal like this in the short run, but I could see this being a a, a positive farther out because I mean, obviously, technology is becoming. A bigger part of automobiles going forward, and not a smaller part, and and that's not going to change. And I think there are a lot of T's to be crossed and I's to be dotted before you know self-driving cars can ever really happen. And there's going to be legislation and all sorts of things that happen. So whether it's self-driving cars, just the general connected car, I think the farther out you look, probably the more sense this makes. It doesn't seem like Samsung is really paying all that much for it. I think, based on the acquisition price, it's something like uh, 10 times EV to EBITDA. Given their balance sheet, this is more than affordable. It's a big, splashy acquisition that is kind of in their wheelhouse as far as technology goes. So, Given what we know, hey, I mean, in the short run, maybe maybe there are some integration issues, but it sounds like it's going to be uh, it's going to be an independent subsidiary of the company, so they're kind of they're going to be able to kind of do their own thing. I could see it working out. Yeah, and Harman isn't a company that's just now getting into the automotive space. They do seven billion dollars a year in sales to the automotive space with big name brands as Harman Cardone, JBL, and Infinity in the speaker side, and then the touchscreen monitors that you see in a lot of cars these days. Function thanks to Harman International's uh, products, so. right? And it, this was a six billion dollar company last week. So, uh, among other things, you have to figure that, as you said, 
Jason, we got a long runway uh, on this, but if you're just looking at the connected space, whether it's automobiles, whether it's the home, the smart home, Nest, all of that sort of thing, uh, I, I think more we should expect more of these types of acquisitions, not less. This is not some startup. No, not, no not they have a very, yeah. they're very. This is a company with twenty five thousand yes, employees. Good reputation in the space, obviously an integral part of the supply chain already. So it's not like they're trying to figure out how to make this all work. I mean, they they have a very uh, they, they've they've gotten a lot of traction in the space, so to speak, uh, thus far. So I mean, I, I think that's that's where you know becoming a part of a company that is already uh, so geared towards. Technology and in a company that has such a large presence um, in in the tech space is definitely you can you can see the uh, you can see how how this how this all works together. Before we get to the mailbag, one other story I wanted to hit real quick because I I can't believe this story. <laughs> Uh, according to a report in the Sunday Telegraph, Coca-Cola may become a takeover target of Anheuser-Busch InBev. I saw that this morning. I, I just wanted to touch on it briefly because I, this this is an absurd possibility to me. We're talking about two companies that are worth around $160, $170 billion each. Is there any way in the world that a deal like this would be allowed to go through? Allowed? I don't know. I mean, they've, they've already kind of been intertwined with, now that SAB is part of Anheuser-Busch or AB InBev um, because they're majority shareholders in a African bottler for Coca-Cola, who Coca-Cola is now buying back from them um, since this deal went through. So, there's some similarities there in the bottling, but you see AB InBev being the largest bottler of Pepsi in South America through AmBev. Um, so, there's some competing interests there, and I think that's why Coke bought out the bottling operations in Africa, so that there wasn't that, that uh, sharing of maybe competitive secrets between the two um, soft drink behemoths. Uh, so, regulatory, I don't know. It's interesting because they're not direct competitors. I mean, obviously, you're chasing people's taste buds, but um, not direct competitors. It would be definitely an interesting side, side story here, well, main story, I guess. Yeah, they're not they're not competitors, so I wasn't thinking about it necessarily from yeah. that standpoint. But just the idea that one company would would be not just the the largest producer of beer on yeah. the planet, it would be the largest producer of beverages on the planet. Yeah, I mean, I would. I, they're not maybe competitors. It's not like apples and oranges, though, right? I mean, they're still competing for, like you said, taste buds and just a, a, that thirst. place in sort of the yeah. exactly <laughs> the thirst market. Um, and so, I mean, I, I think you know, antitrust legislation exists in order to promote fair competition for the benefit of consumers. I, I don't know that this necessarily really accomplishes that. I think it would it would be given a lot of scrutiny if 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 it were actually to be put up there. But I, yeah, I mean, I guess I didn't really. See it this morning. You're the one that brought it to my attention. So maybe this is Warren Buffett's grand exit strategy <laughs> yeah, from Coca-Cola yeah. because three, you think so? well, 3G. He's worked with them in the past with Heinz, and they're obviously involved with AB InBev, so they're familiar with each other. I mean, I would say you, companies like Coca-Cola are are certainly facing a bit of a uh, a bit of a conundrum as as soda obviously is on the outs in a lot of places, and I don't I don't foresee that changing. I mean, I think they're trying to figure out ways to diversify their uh, portfolios of offerings, and, and we're seeing them buying in more in the water space and seltzers and juices and stuff like that. So, um, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I could see where where for Coca Cola it, it could potentially be a bit more attractive just from a distribution and production standpoint. It kind of opens them up to a, a bit wider audience and takes a little bit of the spotlight off of them. But I, I'd be surprised to see it happen. Our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com from Tyler Beverly at the University of St. Thomas in Minnesota. Go Tommies! <laughs> uh, what do you think about the situation with Donald Trump and China? Trump proposed uh, a 45% tariff on Chinese imports. China has responded to this by saying they will be fighting back tit for tat. How likely do you think this trade war is? How will this affect companies like Apple that develop their products in China? I guess my first reaction is this would affect many, many companies many, 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 beyond many, many, many. Apple uh, developing their products in China. If you just think about U.S. auto sales, if you think about uh, U.S. agriculture and uh, exports of soybean and corn and you know a little company in the Pacific Northwest, I like to call it Boeing. <laughs> that uh, that you know, if there was any sort of significant trade war, could you know could see those sales canceled and and transferred over to Airbus. Um, uh, it's a great question though because I I think you know this. This was one of the dominant, you know, without delving too far into politics, this was one of the dominant, uh, certainly economic issues of the campaign and looks to be, I think, one of the most interesting economic uh, areas to watch in the, the Trump administration. Yeah, well, President Xi and President elect Trump have already spoken. And based on what they've reported, how that conversation went, I would be surprised if it goes to the extreme degree of a 45% tariff on on all goods imported from China. Um, but I do expect some negotiations to take place. And if you look at it as a whole, China isn't such a huge part of our of our national GDP. But if you look at specific companies, yeah, you mentioned Apple, you mentioned Boeing, you mentioned companies that are that are multinational in nature. And you look at uh, you know five percent of revenues last year from American multinationals came from China. So that's a big chunk. I mean, not as big as one might have expected. Just thinking about the growth in China that they've that they've encountered, but five percent of revenues, and that's that's going to impact certain companies to a much greater degree. And and um, China and some newspapers out there have singular singularly called out Apple. I mean, obviously, it's one of the most well-known brands in the world. So you're going to hit them with the with the biggest punch you can right off the bat. But um, I would expect yeah, tech and, and uh, industrial companies to really. Um, be paying close, close attention to this, in particular, of anything that he discussed throughout the campaign. Yeah, I mean, it's it's obviously very early to. He's not even a president, exactly. yeah. right? I mean, <laughs> I think there's, there's going to be a lot of hyperbole. Yeah. There already is. I mean, I, I think this is a very touchy time for a lot of people in a lot of ways, and I get mm-hmm. that. It's it's just a unique <laughs> situation. But I, I think that I mean, he he doesn't have the ability to just go in and do whatever he wants either. I think that's it's always. Worth remembering that, and and I think typically when it thirty years ago perhaps this was a bit of an easier sort of problem to deal with. I think that we are now such a global economy, you can't just go in there and and dictate what you want Mm -hmm. and think that you're going to get it. Um, I mean, you have to be willing to work with people, and I think that is generally speaking the solution when it comes to anything, when it comes to politics, when it comes to economics. I mean, it is about negotiating and. Uh, I, I think I've heard Trump say more than once he's takes a lot of pride in his negotiating and deal making skills. So hopefully he will be able to, to put those to good use. Um, I mean, we've certainly seen Apple 
under the microscope in regard to that, in, in trying to uh, bring perhaps production back to the United States uh, to, to create jobs? I mean, it's sort of that, it's, it's, a, it's a tough situation, right? I mean, I, I've uh, covered Mattel for a number of years, and we saw sort of this change in how so many so many of their goods that are produced overseas, internationally, in areas where they can really keep those costs down, one of the big threats to the business was the fact that as these emerging economies come online and become less and less emerging and more and more part of the mainstream, uh, their their citizens are looking for, and rightly so, better wages, which brings the cost of those goods up. And eventually, maybe it's not as attractive to be producing those goods overseas. So, again, I mean, this is something that uh, it, 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 we're not going to be able to keep like just cheap goods produced overseas forever. I mean, mm-hmm. it, you know, the world is going to eventually want to come to parity, and, and people want to make money. Um, it's going to be a long process here, Chris. <laughs> I imagine there will be many things to discuss as far as this goes. Um, I do not think, though, that anybody uh, should be concerned about President-elect Trump going in there and just dictating. A, 40, a forty-five percent tariff. This he does have I that want. power, though. There's a if, if he not to the tune of forty-five percent. I think yes. Yeah, I think maybe not that high. I think it was reading. It was something like, uh, it was like fifteen, what, 15 yeah, yeah. for a, for a certain period of time. If he declares a national emergency right. based on job loss, and then and then ultimately, I mean, we we look back to it's his term is for four years. We hold yep. another election and we see how people feel at that point. So yeah, I mean, I think I think with anything, anybody who wants to be successful in this line um, is going to have to recognize that. You're uh, working not just on behalf of our country anymore. You're really working on behalf of, of a global society, and, and we need to uh, represent thusly. Two housekeeping notes uh, before we get to our final email. Uh, first, got to say thanks to Deborah Gregg, uh, owner of the Polka Dog Bakery. Late last week, uh, a box came from the Polka Dog Bakery. This is an uh, all-natural, healthy treats for dogs business in Boston, and longtime listener Bill Barnes uh, does some work there and and put together a box uh, of of all these different dog treats yes. and, and sent them here. Uh, thank you. They were gone in yes. no time. They were Didn't in no time. They were gone and getting rave reviews from people like Allison Southwick, who hosts Motley Fool Answers. Her dog was loving them. Uh, Jen Elliott, a bunch of other fools. Uh, so thank you for those. And uh, I, I will tweet out the link to this. But you know, hey, this. Holidays coming up. You want to you want to get something uh, for your dog or for you know your friend's dog. I don't know. Just a lot of canine lovers out there. Canine, eh? All canine lovers. Polka Dog Bakery. Um, you can also check out past episodes of Market Foolery. Always like to remind people of that. You can check out past episodes of Market Foolery and all of the Motley Fools podcasts at our podcast center, which is podcast.fool.com. Also on the podcast center. Uh, you can test drive our flagship service, Motley Fool Stock Advisor, because uh, this Friday the new issue, the new monthly issue of Stock Advisor, comes out with two new recommendations from David and Tom Gardner. Uh, obviously, you also get Best Buys now and a whole bunch of other things with Stock Advisor. So you can check it out by uh, going to the Podcast Center, scroll to the bottom of the page, and you'll find it all there podcast.fool.com. Final email from Tatiana Kildesheva in Singapore. I heard Jason Moser. Mentioning Mercado Libre, and not being so excited about this company. I bought their shares a while ago, and they've been and they've been over the roof. Should I sell now? What would Jason Moser do? God, if I had a nickel <laughs> for every time I saw someone <laughs> wearing those bracelets, feel like maybe one of those buttons, WWJMD. What would Jason Moser do? Mercado Libre, the 
the eBay of Latin America. I would America? say yeah, and PayPal, the eBay, and I would, I would I would call it more the Amazon at okay. this point because it is e-commerce very multi-tiered yeah. business. Yeah, I mean they have the payment solutions. I'm a bit I'm a bit perplexed here. I feel like I've been pro Mercado Libre. Must have just been one episode. All of my days here. Man. Maybe, <laughs> maybe there was a point where I felt like I maybe it was a valuation. I I can't recall specifically ever not being, uh, not being for this. I feel like I've I've always been very very pro Mercado Libre, and I still am. I think that Mercado Libre is a a really phenomenal business. I mean, they have uh, done a, a really great job. I mean, it, it, building out it, it, you know this this e commerce opportunity in all of Latin America and really uh, taking advantage of this emerging. Middle class in Latin America that really has still yet to take uh, to, to to really to take roots there and and uh, I think I think present the real growth opportunities that uh, that we can we can look forward to. But um, yeah, I mean Mercado Libre shares have been on a tear. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was very interesting to note for me. Interest. I mean, recently that um, eBay, which used to own, and I say used to own, a big stake in this company. I think somewhere in the neighborhood of eighteen percent of the shares outstanding. Sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, eBay has recently announced they're going to be liquidating that, and they've almost liquidated it completely at this point because they felt like maybe they just felt like they needed the capital. They want to go in a different direction. To me, I felt like that was an opportunity loss for eBay because to me, Mercado Libre is a far more attractive opportunity than eBay. Now, with the recent run-up in price, I mean, sure. I mean, you could look at that and say, well, maybe, maybe it's gotten ahead of itself. But I do think that it's a business. It is a a, a business with a lot of opportunities still to come, in a market where I think its best days are still ahead. I, I would I would probably hang on to those shares, Tatiana. And if for some reason I misled you <laughs> in the past, let me apologize. I like Mercado. Libre. Stock up about thirty percent over the past yeah, year. Yeah, I mean it is. It's it's it's. And I mean it's worth noting. It's, it there is a big risk there, and this is truly an international stock. Mm-hmm. I mean there is some currency uh, risk there, but I I would I would you know put that sort of minimal. I think at this point. But yeah, I think just you're looking at uh, some global exposure of a really interesting company taking uh, advantage of not only e-commerce but uh, you know an emerging middle class. That's a, a good one to look at. Really, the only issues you've seen with this company haven't really been company specific. They've having to deal with Venezuela or Argentina, the strong U.S. dollar reporting in dollars. So that, we recommended it's the fourth ever U.S. rec in Stock Advisor Canada, and it's more than doubled the market since then for our scorecard. And we still recommend it as a buy, even at the price today. It's not a best buy now on our scorecard, but it is still recommended as a buy. And yeah, they're they're turning things around based on the countries that they're operating in, and the payment platform is just surging on and off network. So big, yeah, big it, fan. We own it in million dollar portfolio too. We're still very optimistic about mm-hmm. its future, so we're going to hang on to those shares. Yep. I know it's not a huge data set when we're, you're just talking about two companies in Mercado Libre and PayPal, but it does seem like. If your business has been uh, spun off from eBay, that bodes well for you. <laughs> Again, not a big data set, but but it do, it does seem like a a pretty positive indicator. It could not, be a trend. Not to, not to pick on eBay. All right, Jason Moser, Taylor Markman, thanks for being here, guys. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.